my W two was my first one of my first partners. You know, I was going there getting approved for loans based off of my W two income. You know, like it's I just kind of outgrown it because of my responsibilities, but I still love science. I still miss it sometimes. You know, so don't let nobody shame you like, oh, you're working for a W two. You gotta like, what if I like my job? Welcome to The Real Deal, a commercial real estate investing podcast. I'm your host, Aman Shahi. There's a ton going on in the world right now, and much of it impacts real estate investors. The Real Deal podcast will take a look at what's happening and how it influences you as a real estate investor. Each episode is a 20-minute segment dedicated to distilling the day's most important news, so you can stay up to date on what's going on in the world and how it might affect the commercial real estate market. Welcome back to another episode of Cashflow Capitalist Show. Today I have my old friend, his name is Noel Purnell. Hey Noel, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. It's good to see you again, man. How are you? How's things going? Ah, man, life has been lifing. You know, I have a, a 15-month-old baby. I have a nine-week-old puppy. And I have about 20 property managers I have to manage. And they all are like... Babies, man. So life is life and has its ups and downs, but life in general, I think it's just I'm so appreciative and blessed. So yes, I'm, I'm very happy right now. All right. Um give us your like 30 second introduction. Like who you are, how do you get into real estate, and what are you doing now? Yeah, absolutely. So again, thanks for introducing me, Noel Parnell. I am a, a former pro athlete, former scientist, full-time real estate investor. I got my start after the Great Recession being laid off. So I've been in real estate for now 15 plus years. Uh, and so right now I work on uh, buying apartment buildings and I still do my small residential uh, new builds and uh, new build construction apartments here in Philadelphia. So I currently I'm in Philly, uh, Texas and Georgia. Nice, nice. So how did you first get into real estate? Like how was the mindset at that point that you want to be like, you know, I want to leave my science job. I don't want to be a scientist anymore. I want to be in real estate. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it was the opposite of that. I loved my job and I still love science. The issue was that there was someone that had a power over me that, you know, that, that terminated, you know, the whole building. It wasn't uh, just me. It was the whole building. And I didn't like that. I didn't have any power. And this thing about this, I was about 27 years old at this time. Uh, you know, I didn't have any real responsibilities, but I seen the looks on people's faces that were, you know, husbands, wives, they were parents and like, oh, what are we going to do? I didn't like the fact that someone had the power over my livelihood and they didn't know how hard I was working or how hard somebody else is busting their ass. And so literally I was mad. I was Googling. How did the rich get rich? Because in my mind, it was just some rich person that's making a call like, shut that building down. I want more money. <laughs> but, you know, I have a better understanding of it now. And I realized that about 90% of wealth comes from real estate. And so my first thing was, all right, how, how, to, how do I get my first property? And so um, that's what kind of started on me in my trajectory that I am on now. Nice, nice. So, yeah, that's what you said, right? Like somebody has the 
control over your life. Same thing happened in COVID as well. When people did not want to get vaccine because they were not trusting it, but they had to because their employer was pushing it. Government was pushing it. So that's a, that's what I really like. So tell us about your first project. How What was that? So, well, so I had, I had a lot of first projects. So I had my first, let, we can, we can, and you can dive into it. It can be my first rehab project. It can be my first seller finance project, or it can be my first house hack. Which one would you like to discuss? Tell me the very first one. The, my very first one was a uh, seller financing project. So I was, um, at this time, I was still looking for properties and I was going door to door, knocking on, uh, you know, people's doors on Sundays. And what that taught me is that empathy, because, you know, I was kind of finding a list from uh, tax foreclosures and mortgage foreclosures. And I was a bit of a, an asshole, you know, to be honest, because only thing I was thinking of was myself, you know, like, oh, me, 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 me. And no one wants to lose their home, you know, for, for you know, unforeseen circumstances. Um, I finally found someone, not from the knocking the doors, but from a local RIA. Uh, Joe Dixon was his name. It was from uh, Dig in Pennsylvania. Anybody is in Pennsylvania listening in? Uh, it's the oldest real estate RIA group in the uh, state of Pennsylvania. And I found him and he was offloading and he was trying to retire. And he said, I had this property here. I will sell or finance it for you for $45,000. And that was at the time... It was $45,000 at a 7% interest only payment, and it was going to balloon in 36 months. And so this is, you get to think about right now, this time frame, this was back in 2009, 10-ish. So interest rates were traditionally higher just because it was coming out of the, uh, the Great Recession. Um, so I took it. And this is before I knew how to burn. I wasn't burning at the time. I just got a regular loan to get out of it. I didn't, I didn't know nothing about burning or a cash out refi. But all I knew is that the numbers made sense. I was like, all right, I bought, uh, I'm trying to think of to be accurate. I bought about $2,300 down to closing. I gave him a thousand dollar deposit and I got the house closed. The tenant that he had was in there, was in there for about 16 years. And so I was, the rent there was about $1,400. And the note that I was paying him was on forty three hundred, so I was making a nice little, uh, a nice little little chunk of change. You know, I was cash flowing, you know, true cash flow about two hundred bucks because um, I had a bunch of like municipal taxes, school taxes, trash and uh, like uh, rubbish or sewage—that's what they call it—and that was another life lesson because I didn't know how to balance my checkbook at, at that time because I had a new property. I was like, oh, I just got this cash flow. And I was just taking that money. I was young. I was partying. I was still a scientist. And I was like, hey, this is extra drinking money. And then I would get these tax bills. And I was like, oh, shit. I got to pay $4,500 for this municipal tax. I had another like $3,000 for the school tax. And I was like, oh, snap. I, I should have been putting escrow away to pay these things. So that was a good lesson learned that, you know, it's not about what you gross, it's about what you net. Uh, so that was a rude awakening for me. <laughs> and also, you you, you created an um, active income. The seller created a passive income for 36 months. Passive income. Yep. 
and he offloaded the property and he was like he had no risk he had nothing but you took all the he risk had, you he made risk for here because he uh like i so i think he oh, i don't want to say that and actually i'm still good friends with him to this day but if I, you know maybe he thought i was gonna mess up but you know because like there was a clause on there if you don't you get the property back and i have to pay for the title to come back to him because for all you guys uh and ladies out there you know seller financing is that when you have a property that's free and clear the owner holds the note as the as the bank itself, and you you paying him a monthly rate, and so yeah, um, yeah. But he he set me on a good trajectory there. Nice, nice, nice. So, tell us about your rehab project, and later after that, tell us about your multifamily project. All right, which project you want to know about? First rehab. Oh man, first rehab disaster. The guy, listen to me. I had it's a three-story brownstone house. This uh, it's uh, about this is 2012, 13. You know, I'm doing this rehab house. You turn on a light switch in the basement, it would come on, but the third floor light would come on. I had duct work, so like after it was completion, I was like, oh, the central air is not working to the bathroom. We go there and scope it. The duct work was there, but it wasn't connected to anything. So this thing about this, the towel is already down, the ceiling's already done, the ductwork was never connected. So that's why I wasn't getting no heat and air there. He convinced me of, you know, about, because I didn't know any better. He put like a used water heater in there. And I was like, what's that date on there for? It already had a date when you mark it. I didn't know any better on there. And he was like, oh yeah, you know, I had it in my storage. That's why I had that there. He took it from another property put this used water heater in there. The water element went bad within like the, the first six months. Oh man, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But one thing I always say, his name was Donnell, I always say this, Donnell Williamson, you were a predator and a creep, but without you, I would have not made, you no know, the the money that I earned from that. Because from, from that, I learned that, guess what? Let me start doing work on my own. And you have to know what like bad stuff looks like and good work looks like to be a, a really seasoned, um, and if, and if, if I would say rehab general contractor, because I was acting as both, you know? And so he actually helped my, like people are like, you so mad? I'm like, hell no. Like once he did so much crap in that house, I was so confident that I could do another project. And that's what that's what I started finding. I started finding distressed properties and I started learning how from him because I had so many, that's another issue I had about um, another lesson from him is about how do you manage your contractors? You know, I paid him too much money up front. He wasn't coming and showing up on site. And so from that, he taught me valuable lessons that to this day, like I still, I even perfected them. You know, so now when I do like uh, my rehab projects, so I'm working on right now, I have a, uh, a new ground up construction six unit. I have a 12 unit building that I am about to, it's uh, eight residential and four commercial that that's going to get started on in the next two months. And then I'm meeting with the council people, council women and state representatives here because I want to do a, uh, a 50 unit apartment building from the ground up, but I wanted um, a portion that to be dedicated to affordable housing. But knowing how to manage your contractors, um, I use Amex for everything. So like if my contractor can't take Amex or you don't have a strike, 
I don't, I don't, I don't deal with them. And people might say, well, you, you lower, you lower the number of people that you can deal with. But what I found is that, yes, I lowered my, my pool of folks, but the quality got better. Like my quality contractors would take that form of payment. And then also I found out they might've been a little bit more expensive, but the efficacy of it and, and how they worked was so much better. And if there was an issue, I can always call Amex like, Hey, Take it back. Take back twenty percent of this because they didn't finish this correctly. And Amex ah, will so Amex you can you know what? take take that back. I also learned to look at trucks. Like, let me see what they're driving in, not to see how stylish they are, but if their truck is unkept and messy, how do you think they're going to keep my job site? That's something that if they own, and if they're keeping their 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 truck their work truck and unkept, that means my work site is going to be unorganized. You yeah, know, that, how that well do they follow a, a project schedule? Yeah, you know, I, my, I said I have, a, yeah. have a, a degree in biology and a master's of biochemical engineering, but I also have oh, my wow. PMP. So I put oh, people wow. on a uh, a project Gantt and I'm like, hey, these are the milestones we have to hit. You know, and this is how I meet with my team members every Sunday night at 10 p.m. And we're game planning for the week. And so I use the business goal Amex, all my project managers they have that so they can make runs for the, the supplies. But I'm managing from the Gantt, like, where are we on this project? Did we pull permits on this one? Did the zoning board come? Because you have to deal with lawyers when you're, you know, in the phase one studies, when you're doing ground up. You know, how are we doing with those? So there's silos, but it, it's project management. You need to have good project management skills to run any good business. Even, even with the department syndications, you need to have it. Got it, got it. And yeah, you learned the lesson the hard way by managing the first rehab project, which was like totally disaster. And people oh, people man. say that, or oh, learn from other people's experience. I'm like, some you never had same experience with other person. You always learn from your own hard way. You and and I, that's the one of the thing I always tell people. Like, um, you you see a lot of mentors, but like, oh, I'll take the like, you know, so you won't make mistakes. So like. I got you so you won't make mistakes. I never tell my mentees that. I always explain to them that failure excels you, but you should not be making the same mistakes. Like there is mistakes are inevitable, but there shouldn't be the same mistakes. That means you have a methodology or a processes issue there. You know, because some things you just can't predict. You know, I can't, I could predict COVID, you know, and I'm very transparent. I I doggy paddled through COVID. You know, COVID had all my, you know, my, my, I had B and C class buildings and a lot of my folks, you know, the assholes that weren't paying before definitely didn't pay during COVID. And then the other ones, they like, you know, it's, I live in a tenant friendly city. I was doggy paddling through there. So I was glad I had my degrees that I can go ahead and take consulting jobs because my mortgages come out all the time, automatic. They're the first of the month. My mortgages are coming out. And so I was so appreciative of being battle tested that I'm like, shoot, man, I, I survived the Great Recession, high interest rates, post race recession, COVID. I did not miss one payment and I kept all my properties, even with about 40% of my tenants not paying me. Yeah. That makes that, sense. That, that does make sense. That yeah, that that's the thing. Like you know, those kind of hard steps that can give you another direction where you want to go. You, but and I, I lead to that is that 
I could I would not be able to teach or prepare anybody for COVID because yeah. shit, I wasn't prepared for COVID. Nobody, Nobody was, was. impressive. Yeah. yeah. So Nobody like, was. I had to pivot and try to move against it. You know, it's the same thing with, you know, you know, you know, interest rates and basis points keep going up, you know, and some some of the pricing values of your properties are going down. You know, how do you how can you cash flow the same way? Because taxes are still going up. Real estate taxes are going up tremendously. Insurance has gone up shit, almost 30 percent. I keep a lot of metrics and KPIs, but like 30 percent. Um, and so you'd be like, all right, I'm not cash flowing like this any longer. Can you weather the storm? Can you know, do, do things get better or is this the norm? You know, I, I like to think that we we may have been like from 2010 to you know i mean at that era we had about eight year eight years where like interest rates were at two and three percent maybe that was the anomaly you know when you look at interest rates and the holes you know if you look at a big timeline and look where interest rates were maybe we were a blimp that was the anomaly and guess what they will never be that way again or if they get that way we'll experience this again so you know hey yeah, that makes sense. That that totally makes sense. So then how did you get into multifamily after this? So multifamily, I just realized that um I was already I already had a bunch of like five and seven units here in Philadelphia. I was already I had those uh, uh by myself through my private lenders, but I wanted to get uh bigger. And I guess the I guess COVID was a little bit responsible for that. Because I learned two things from COVID. I was like, all right, I don't want to be in a blue state no more. I want to be in a red state where it is landlord friendly because I was like, I told you before about your know, rent. So I was like, I need to be landlord friendly and I want a certain price point per door. And I really wasn't seeing that in Philadelphia, but I was seeing that like, hey, you know, if I'm spending $600,000, $700,000, you know, for a five unit, I can take that down south for Texas and you can double your units. And so I was kind of looking at, oh, multifamily, I can I can get larger buildings for that price point. Um, and what I didn't know is that, you know, difference from residential is that you can only your net worth will allow you to sign on what type of loan you can get when you're in uh, multifamily commercial real estate. And I was like, oh, huh, I just can't go ahead and get this loan for this property I found. And like, no, you need to either have a, a KP, which is a, a sponsor. Uh, key principal and that person is bringing like their liquid or uh, net worth. Um, and so that's where I was like, oh, apartment syndications. So I went to Michael Blanc's program because um, I wanted to learn how to underwrite. Um, everything else I learned, I think it was a good, it was a good mentorship. Um, everything else I knew, but I just didn't know how to underwrite um, properties. And I had a good mentor. I had Kyle Mitchell who does like asset manager out of Phoenix. He taught me a lot about asset management. Um, and underwriting. And so to me, that was beneficial. Is it the same Kyle Mitchell who wrote the book Best in Class? That is correct. There you go. Like, yeah. I, I, still, I, still, I still keep up with Kyle, man. Kyle's a great golfer. People don't know. Yeah, there you go. There you go. We have the book right yeah. here. I'm reading that book nowadays. Yeah, he, he, he is really good. Um, like I said, I, I'm glad I had him as my mentor. And I still reach out to him when I have some issues or like I made like, you know, I always tell people, don't be too prideful to ask for help or say, I don't know. So, like, I will reach out to him. And he's such a down-to-earth man that, you know, he, to me, he does a lot of bigger deals. But, like, our relationship is still solid where he'll, you know, we'll respond and we'll get things going. 
Nice, nice, nice. We'll make sure that Kyle listen to this too. <laughs> well, yeah, Kyle's a great guy, man. Yeah. It's a solid dude. He taught me so much. And um, so the, your first deal was a syndication or were you bought it by yourself? Uh, so my first multi lar larger multi-family deal was done through syndication, a co-GP. Uh, that was 156 units uh, based through uh, Lubbock, Texas and Louisville, Kentucky. So 92 units in uh, Lubbock and the remaining were uh, 64 units were in Lubbock, Kentucky. I did, however, just buy a 20 unit in Houston, Texas uh, about two months ago. That We got to talk about that. that I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but I got that building for under $5,000. Uh, but with the closing, I did a creative financing deal on that property. Got a reappraised at 3.2, but only brought $5,000 to the table to own that property. Can you share some details, like like a little bit more in yeah. uh, detail? Uh, so I was in Lubbock, Texas, which I like Lubbock. And I was coming back on a flight. Um, it pays to play first class, folks, because I heard this woman, you know, in first class, she was saying like, hey, I." Um, she was talking to her, her uh, neighbor in the seat and her husband had passed away like a year ago. And um, the trust was not getting paid out from the property. The property manager weren't, wasn't paying them. So I made a deal with her and that was like literally a handshake deal. Like, hey, I'll take over this building. We'll we'll get this situated. I'll make sure that you don't have to worry about coming out of pocket for your note any longer. And you sell the building to me at this price. We made we made a handshake deal. And this is on the 26th of huh? Everything on a plane. This happened on the plane, handshake deal on the plane. This is very risky where I tell people, like, this is where this is one of the things where it was it was being in the right place in the right time. It's pure luck. Right place, right time. The only thing that wasn't luck is having the knowledge to know how to present a, a favorable deal to her and knowing what to do with the existing property manager. Everything else, you know, it's depending on what you believe in, the universe and things aligning and how you have to be finally attuned and what you think that could be there. I believe in that as well, but sometimes there's this dumb luck. Yeah. That was just dumb luck to me. You know, That's hey. straight up. It was a dumb luck. And you found the deal in Lubbock, Texas, and you syndicated, and um, there you go. That's your first deal. Now you are syndicator. When you were like thinking about the deal, there was like some sort of risk and all this thing. How did you do the risk management before you uh, underwrite the deal, syndicate the deal? What kind of risk management um, you had to fo focus on at that time? Yeah, I think it's a uh, for me the, the the risk management is knowing that. I have my mother's money in that. So the deals that we do, we're not, you know, we're not advertising. These are my friends and family. That's their nest eggs. My mom is retired. That is her nest egg in there. So I'm damn for sure going to make sure these numbers are tight. And so that's, that's for me, that's my risk management there is that I know like these are, um, these are blue and white collar workers with that, that are entrusting me um with sometimes a little bit of their life savings and that, that that's so important and not to take for granted there and the responsibility you hold so i'm very tough on the pms i am i am a i'm a very tough asset manager based on that i want to make sure i'm hitting those deliverables yep yeah you um you it sounded like a tough guy who 
get the things done, more detail-oriented. I need the result no matter what. Correct. Yeah, it's better to be the, you know, the a-hole than the friend, you know, in, in, in certain aspects of it. You know, I don't want people to be, you know, especially if it's the PM, we can have a cordial relationship, but I, I'm there... I'm there for a purpose and we have to have that intent of this business plan and that purpose. You know, I always tell a lot of people that want to get into the syndications, like the easiest part is signing on the loan. Once the line is, that's the easiest part. The real work comes the day after. And how do you implement your plan to do what you said you were going to do in that pro forma? That makes that make total sense. Yeah. That's, that's the hard work. That's the hard work. Yeah. You're totally right. That's yeah. And you have to make sure property manager is accountable for every single action they're doing. How are they reporting to you? You know, it's very, are they following your business plan? You sh everybody should have a 30, 60, 90 day outlook of what you're doing. You should have an on-site that after you finish closing, you should have an on-site with that property manager going over everything from the capex, everything. So you should have all your folks with you. You know your team, your team to make sure this is a success, and that's why I like less is less is more to me. So I'm always looking for quality over quantity. So I'm not a um, not like nothing that's wrong with people that are doing a bunch of bunch of deals and just revving them out. But for me, I want to stabilize the product first before moving on to the next. Because if you, the size of the building, there's so many moving parts of things that happen. I need to make sure that's delivering on that on that particular building before I'm moving on to something else. Because then if not, you get caught up. And then once you get caught up, now you're stressed. And now, you, you know, things fall, leak, fall through the, 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 the floors. And now you can't make your, your, your distributions. Cash call. Cash call. No nice. investor wants to do a cash call. That's a nightmare for every single operator. Cash calls. Yeah. And, um, and so that's why I don't, yeah. um, I, I don't do uh, my syndications for... You know, I think that's one of the ways you get paid by acquisition fees, but that's not my driver. You know, uh, that's not my driver to get a deal done. Uh, and I think partly because I already owned all my real estate by myself. So I, I know what I earn already. I'm just trying to get to another level and get to another level is by, by, is by net worth. I need to kind of keep leveling up because I only use syndication as a, as a vehicle, as a tool. That's all it is. It's another tool in your real estate it's a tool, you know, yeah. toolbox to execute. Because ultimately, my goal is I want to get into owning a, a sports team. So I want to like a partnership into either baseball or hockey, you know, buy into that. You can syndicate into those. People don't even know that. There's a lot of syndications that buy into those teams. But that's the ultimate goal where I get a net worth, where I can buy a minority stake into either a minor league team, a major league soccer. That's the goal. That's where I want to go into. Can you buy a UFC? I want to buy. I want to invest in that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think UFC might be privately owned. I think so too, but I think there should be some sort of like maybe you can invest. I don't know about that, but so you also told me before the call like you're doing some challenge, real estate challenge. Can you share the share about that too? Yeah. So um, one of my one of my mentees was like, oh, you know, they were they were frustrated. And um, she was just saying, she's voicing her frustration. So I always like to have my Monday morning musters because, you know, I think Mondays, Sundays really set the tone, but I'm, a, I'm always excited about Monday. So I'm always like, all right, 
what do we hope to achieve this week? You know, that's why I like to kind of get into like the mindset of my mentees. And she was a bit down um, just from like the weekend and the previous week. And she was just saying, you know, it's a lot easier for me because I've been in real estate so long and established that, um, that, that my success is for that reason. And I like to, I always like to point out like, you know, how many months I went without, you know, grabbing a property, but I told her better yet, I was like, I'll take that challenge. I will go to any city that I don't, I know no one in. That means I can't know any personal friends there. I can't have any former banking relationships there or uh, or a private lender or heart money relationships there. I will go there and I will stay as long as needed, hopefully under a year, and I will grab a property. And that means that I may actually have to get a job because remember I said I can't use any of my personal funds. So I'm going to open up an account you know, at a local bank or whatever area it is. I'll start sharing it. Like, hey, uh, this is this is Noel Parnell. You know, this is what it is. Um, I don't I don't worry about any previous because all my properties are in LLC. So they're not going to see it unless I tell them. So I, I would like I'm not going to disclose it. So technically, I'm going to look on paper that I have nothing. So for me, I'm going to do it. And my, my first one out there is going to be in a personal name. So what's the, first, what's the first location are you moving to? Uh, so right now we're there's a, I'm going to do a poll on Instagram, but we have uh, right now we have the states, Arizona, we have um, uh, Kansas City, which is not not a state, it's a, it's a city, but, but Kansas City. We also have uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and you have Wisconsin in general there. Those are places where I'm like, OK, I know absolutely no one, uh, no one there. The other places are like Wyoming, North Dakota. I'm like, it's too damn cold. And it's not a, like a major airport where I can just fly in and out to come see my son or whatever, uh, you know, because there's a sacrifice on that in itself as well. So, but yeah, uh, and I don't want to be cold. So I'm not going to North Dakota or Wyoming. You don't like uh, cold? I, I love cold, but I don't like snow. No. I hate snow. I don't like cold. I would think about Utah maybe a little bit. I didn't think about that. I know no one in Utah. So I know in Denver also. I know no one in Denver, Colorado. So that that could be an uh, aspect as well. I like Denver, the city there too. Yeah, but that's really really dry. Like that's that's the place we met, you know, for the best ever conference, and that's oh, really yeah. dry. <clears throat> and yeah. you know, remember that our lips were getting dry, they were getting ripped off, and all this thing. I'm like, no, I don't want to live in Denver. Yep. And um, yeah. So, right. so what advice do you want to give to the to somebody who's starting new in real estate, and in 2023? Uh, yeah. What my my first one is. Never accept a no from someone who doesn't have the power to tell you yes. You know? um, and the second is that don't be guilt shamed. You know, social media is so popular out here that you can look at somebody and feel like you're so far behind. So don't be guilt shamed that like, oh, you're you're like you're right on time, you're right the course. You know, as long as you're being actionable, you're being consistent, and you have the discipline to to go after what you want. You will be okay. The third thing is that this is really grind. This really makes me so mad. I see social media guys and so-called gurus do it all the time. Stop, stop shaming people for having a W-2 job. Stop. Everybody doesn't hate their job, sir or ma'am. Like, listen, I, like it's okay. If you want to work your W-2, it's fine. You know, my W-2 was my first, one of my first partners. 
You know, I was going there getting approved for loans based off my W-2 income. You know, like it's, I just kind of outgrown it because of my responsibilities, but I still love science. I still miss it sometimes, you know, so don't let nobody shame you like, oh, you're working for a W-2. You got to like, what if I like my job? I just want to say social media is delusional. Just don't trust whatever you see. And uh, uh, I want to add something to your second point that everybody have their different journeys. Like if you did your first deal in like one year, somebody might be there who, who, who took two years. Somebody might be there who took three years. Everybody have a different journey. So don't compare yourself to anybody else. Comparison is a thief of joy. Don't do it. Because you have different journey, other person a different journey. Yep, absolutely. And so if we have to recommend a book, either for education or mindset, which one would you recommend? Oh, well, you already used best in class, but I'll tell everybody one of that set me straight. Uh, I love this one. I started with Unshakable. Nice. Tony, Tony Robbins. I read that too. And from the Unshakable. Unshakable. I started. I went from there, and I thought it's up here. Uh, I don't know where I put it. I usually it might be in my downstairs. I might lift it out. Business mastery. It's a it's a lot thicker, but that book right there um, was great uh, for me. I love those two books, and my third one that I'll recommend: Who Not How. Who Sometimes not how. that's a great book. Yeah. Figure, figure out like. Uh, I got. I got to do this. Is sometimes you just need to connect with people. Yeah, and, and figure out how to make. I, I'm big on that. Is saying, guess what? How can we make the best out of our, our relationship? Who can Th- that's, help? That's it. it. That's yeah. it. That's it. You know, that's it. it, it that's it. And um, I'm. I'm gonna ask you like uh, three more questions. So, what is your morning routine as entrepreneur? <laughs> So I'm up uh, every morning around 4.30, 4.45, the latest. I'm driving about 35 minutes uh, to the gym. So within that 35 minutes, I'm always listening to, it's, it's, it's literally one of the four people. It's going to be um, Earl Nightingale, Jim Rohn, Tony Robbins, or David Goggins. Those one of the four I'm listening to that morning to get like my mind right. So like that's my morning. My gym workout starts at 5:30 a.m. Um the culture where you where your people around, people are like you travel that far to go to a gym. Well, two reasons I do that. One is that it gives me time to like prime my mind. The second part is my gym is that these folks when when people wake up at that early in the morning, they're it's a CrossFit gym. They're there because they want to be there. Nobody wants to go and go that hard in that morning and you want to be there. And so I love being around that type of energy um, and knowing that you're not going to be the best. So iron is going to sharpen iron. So I love that. On my ride back, I'm normally listening to an audio book. Um, and sometimes I re-listen to audio books, but it's always an audio book. I, I keep a lot. I have audibles. So I go through those on the audio book. I get home um, around 730. I walk the puppy. And then I'm having breakfast with my son. I make breakfast for my son every morning. We sit down. We have breakfast. We have breakfast together. 8.30, I have a morning muster meeting with uh, some team members. And then I start, my day is kind of planned out uh, every Sunday. So I have it I have it, I have it mapped out. But my day normally ends at 5 p.m. Because that's family time again with my son. 
I'm gonna make sure that I'm having dinner, I'm eating, and then I'll get back online around 10-ish. And that's just only to kind of like recap on any emails I missed out on and be like, all right, I need to address those for the next morning because I have a time slot where I'm just addressing emails or I actually put in like a, a, a time slot for social media. Like I need to make content for social media. That's 1.30 uh, normally every day for me. Like I, I need to make content for social media. Um, so, you know, of course today, because I, I met at 1.30 with you, I had to, you know, shift it. But I knew from planning on Sunday, like what's going on. So is this really being a master of your schedule? I don't believe in busy work. I, w- I fell into that trap to be doing a bunch of hours and losing sleep only to make yourself feel good. It needs to be actionable work with an intent to where you're, you're trying to go. So everything needs to be actionable, uh, you know, and it has to be an intent. And I only try to do like main Three to four main things need to get accomplished per day. Everything else is kind of like routine work that I need to, to put a business, but you has to be actionable. You don't get any credit just because you're like, oh, stay, I've been up 18 hours. Oh, why? There's no badge of honor in that. It needs to be productive. Correct. Yeah. And um, if today is the last day on this planet, what message do you want to give to the world? I did it my way. It's my favorite song, Frank Sinatra. If you haven't heard it, listen to Frank Sinatra my way. That that that's any if you just print out the lyrics or, or, or listen to it, that whole song is um that that is it. I did it my way. That's what I want people to understand. You know, I had my rights, my wrongs, but I am so happy and content. I have no regrets because I, I did it my way and I did it um I did it with just i guess with love you know like you know something like i I, i'm happy and i I tell people that you have to know what happiness means to you and how to obtain happiness because if you don't you'll you'll walk around miserable you need to always find out what happiness means to you you know i i love every morning i get to eat breakfast with my son he's just throwing crap at me he's a toddler so he's throwing stuff I love those daggone mornings. I love it. It's that, that's, it's, I'm happy. That's what it is. Oh man, so I am, uh, my email is at noel at crown, C-R-O-W-N, capital, C-A-P-I-T-A-L, corp, C-O-R-P dot com. I'm also on uh, social media, Instagram. It's a satire name. Christian sex symbol. It's the only satire. I'm not changing it because it's funny. So you got to be lively. Uh, so Christian sex symbol spelled just the way it is. I'm on there. I'm always placing out good content um, and giving this out free, free anything there. Um, and then you can visit the website, crowncapitalcorp.com. But yeah. I'll make sure we add everything on the so, um, show notes. Yes. And uh, that's, thank you so much, Noel, for your time, for your knowledge. And um I'll see you in uh, some other conference and we can connect after that too. Houston, that's, uh, that's definitely late for Houston, yeah. man. All right. All right, man. For sure. All right. It was nice All seeing right. you. I'll connect you another one. All right, bye. All right. Thanks so much, All sir. Right. You take it. Thank you for joining us on The Real Deal, a commercial real estate investing podcast. 
the show that covers everything to do with multifamily real estate investing to help you become an expert in your real estate ventures. We're here to help you create passive income and financial freedom so that you can achieve what you want whenever you want. We'll catch you next time on The Real Deal.